Well, good morning. So good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. Those of you here in Plymouth, also welcome to our Northridge Brighton family and all of you who are watching online. Glad to have you experiencing this with us. And we are in this series about out with the old and in with the new. And this weekend, we're looking at a very important subject, and it's the issue of regret, something that we all deal with. But before we get into that, I have two things I want to share with you that if I didn't, I would have regret about. The first is pictured right here. I mean... (laughs) Go Lions! And I'm going to be honest, I have never, I've been the pastor here 33 years, I have never worn lion's gear on this platform. (laughs) And there's a reason. There's never been a reason to wear lion's gear on this platform. Uh, Obviously, I've said a lot of things over the years about the lions, which is why no Detroit lions ever come to this church, but that's a whole other issue. It's about ready to change. In my entire lifetime, I'm 65, in my entire lifetime, they had won one playoff game. 65 years. My son has actually cursed me for making him a Lions fan over the years, but it's paying off big time now. We're going to the NFC Championship. Wow, that's awesome. So, Go Lions, it'll be fun, whatever. It looks like we're going to have a team all the way into the next decade, which is a lot of fun. But here at Northridge, we don't bite kneecaps. I just do want to say that right up front. (laughs) Hopefully we have some grit. The second thing I want to share is even more meaningful to those of us at Northridge. It has a lot to do with our mission, which is to wake the world up to Jesus. And part of that involves showing them his love. Over a decade ago, we had two events, probably two of the most meaningful events I've ever had the privilege of being part of and leading out here at Northridge. They were million meal events where we as a congregation came together and we packed a million plus meals to send to people in need around the world. It's a fun event. You can do it as individuals, as couples, as families. I mean, good night. We've had teachers bring students and coaches bring sports teams. It's just an absolute blast. But for a decade, we've been trying to think through doing it again and haven't been able to do it. But it's finally come together. February 29th through March 2nd, we're doing a million meal event here this year, 2024. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Suburban Conference Center up in Novi, and we're going to be packing over a million meals. We really want to encourage you to be involved, sign up, get to know about it. It's going to change a lot of lives. It's going to wake people up to Jesus. And if you want to know more, you'll be getting letters probably and emails and e-connects, but if you want to know more... Right now, you can text us at our texting number here at Northridge, 316-16, and just put one word, million, as your message, and you'll get information, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm not going to be like Marissa in the announcements and talk about it being lit and all those other things. I'd be trying just a little bit too hard. All right. Regrets. Regrets. You know, things we've said things we've done, things we haven't said, things we haven't done that in the end haunt us, you know, plague us, 
cloud every part of our lives. Regrets are the substance of all the if-onlys of our lives. And I have to tell you, I, I have a ton of these if-onlys. But the truth is, we all do, right? And I know you put in an effort to be here this weekend, for those of you online, to crawl out of bed in your PJs and get your cup of coffee. I know we all put in some kind of an effort to be here. So I don't mean to be discouraging, but just in case you don't already know this, we all have regrets because, and I'm sorry to tell you this, none of us are perfect. Spouses right now are looking at each other and said, told you, you know, told you, you weren't perfect. We all blow it at times, every single one of us. We all wish in our lives we could have a couple of do-overs, right? For many of us, regrets go deep, I mean really deep. They become the dominant reality of our lives. They rule our emotions. They have us living in a shadow of shame. They, they become life-diminishing, life-destroying. The entire story of many of our lives have been written by and influenced by this one word, regret. Here's the truth. I think we have to understand if we're going to put it out with the old so we can experience the new, our regrets have the power to make us prisoners of the past, to enslave us to the past. And if you're enslaved by the past, you're not living in the present and certainly not moving forward to the future. You're stuck. And that's what regrets do. They have this power to enslave us. Regrets you cannot have looking forward. Regrets can only have power in looking back, which is the position most of us take in life. And just so you know, I'm not just up here saying none of us are perfect and we all have regrets. God's made it very, very clear in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, blown it, failed, and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have made those choices that have left God out and caused us to live far short of the potential he's given us Regret, regret, regret. And when we have those regrets, which we all do, look what eight, Acts 8.23 says, for I see that you are all full of that bitterness and you're literally held captive to sin. Captive to your bad choices, to your failures, to your regrets. Regrets have the power to make us prisoners of the past. And sadly, this is the reality of many of us right now. And it's destructive. It has the tendency to paralyze us, to keep us from moving forward, and in the end, and many of us know this reality, I know I do at times, to turn into self-directed anger that can actually become self-directed hatred. There are... There are some significant examples of regret in the Bible, and maybe you're newer to the Bible, but I have to tell you, one of the things I love about the Bible is that God's just honest about humans. When, when a human writes a book, usually what they do, it's kind of like a resume. They leave out the stuff that wouldn't help, and they put in the stuff that would, 
you know, magnify. And it's one of the reasons it's pretty easy to believe that God inspired the Bible because even the greatest heroes in the Bible, God shows us their unbelievably destructive flaws. God tells us about regrets, things they did that held them back and how they were messed up by it. Well, throughout the Bible, but there were these two men who really blew it with Jesus himself when he was on this planet. Two men who betrayed and forsook Jesus, Peter and Judas. It's really interesting. One of them, parents named their kids after still today in the 21st century. Peter, the other one, have you ever met a Judas? If you did, they despise their parents. I mean, it's like, what parent would name their kid Judas? And yet, Peter and Judas were really identical. In identical situations. Made the same identical choice of regret. They were both given the privilege of being among Jesus' closest friends. They were both given the privilege to be called and to represent Jesus in the world as apostles, the very foundation of all that he's doing today. And then they both did the unthinkable. From that privileged vantage point, they turned on him. They betrayed him and they forsook him. Judas betrayed him because Jesus wasn't doing what Judas thought he should be doing. And by the way, Judas isn't alone. A little bit of Judas in me, a little bit of Judas in you. Don't we all just wish that God would get with the program once in a while? Don't we just want to nudge him along? Isn't that what we do in our prayer life? God, we know you're missing the reality as I'm seeing it, so let me give you a report so that you can change your behavior. What we're doing is being Judas. We don't like exactly what he's doing, so we try and manipulate circumstances and events and even compromise truth at times to get him on our page. That's what Judas did. But it's a betrayal. Peter actually betrayed Jesus for a far more frivolous reason. Peter betrayed Jesus, forsook him, denied him out of fear for his own life. He betrayed Jesus to save his own hide. That's not even as big as Judas, you know, trying to get Jesus on the right page in his mind. And the, what makes Peter's betrayal so amazing is that Peter, Peter looked at Jesus in the face and he said, I want you to know I love you more than all these other people that you've chosen. And I know they're probably going to scatter and they're going to probably forsake you and betray you, but I for one would die for you. And within minutes, to save his own skin, he betrays Jesus, runs away, and denies him. Needless to say, both had serious regret. Because of Judas's betrayal, Jesus, not what Judas wanted, but Jesus was crucified. Because of Peter's betrayal, he let Jesus down at the time Jesus needed him the most. Talk about, if only, talk about shame. But the revealing and important focus for us is not found in the fact that they betrayed and forsook Jesus or even why. The real important focus for us is seeing how they handled 
their regret. Which is the difference between why we still name kids Peter and why we would never name our kids Judas. Peter got past his regret and became a huge influence in sharing Jesus around the world. Judas was destroyed by his regret. He literally went out, no longer able to handle the prison of his regret, and hung himself. So what was the difference? Well, the difference was in how they handled their regret. And here's the reality. We're all going to have regrets. All of us, big and small and life-changing, debilitating. We're all going to have them. The critical issue for us is found in how we handle them. If we make the right choices with our regrets, each of us has the ability to get past them because of what Jesus has done. We can experience freedom from them like Peter did. But if we make the wrong choices with our regrets, each of us also has the potential to be literally destroyed by them like Judas, and the choice is ours. This moment we have together right now is important. This weekend, we're going to look at the possible choices, and we're going to start with the wrong choices, the choices that make us a prisoner of the past, the choices that destroyed Judas. It's important for us to learn from him so we're not like him. From Judas, we discover that regrets own us, make us prisoners of the past when we attempt to cover up our failures. And I have to tell you right on the front end, this is our nature to cover up. I didn't have to be taught this. My earliest memories of doing wrong, and they come very early, trust me, also come with memories of how I tried to cover them up. Make them worse. But it's human. You've done it too. In the book of Psalms, we find David, who became a man after God's own heart. We also named children after David, though he was a huge betrayer at times in his life. He said, blessed is the one whose who's sin, failures, that which they hold and regret, the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. And then he says, but that hasn't always been me. I, by nature, tried to cover up my regrets. When I kept silent, my bones literally wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, God, your hand reminded me of them, was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped in the heat of summer. I mean, our regrets own us when we try and bury them and cover them up. And I probably don't have to tell you because you've already identified this in your life, but I think just for clarity purpose, I should talk about some of the ways we do this. And I need to tell you right up front, I'm not using someone else's playbook. This is right out of my own playbook, okay? This is what I've done, and I know you have. We try to cover up our failures by attempting to play them down in our minds, right? I shouldn't feel badly about this. Wasn't that big of a deal, right? What's interesting about this is, and there's reasons for it, but what's interesting is we never play down others' failures and regrets. We always play those up. 
point them out. Have you read social media recently? I mean, we love to lift those up. So we play down our regrets and play up other people's regrets. You know why? It's a way we try to cover up. The volume of our regrets is so loud, the only way we can cover it is by turning up the volume of others to try and cover the volume of ours. You do it, right? I also, my playbook, attempt to rationalize my failures, my regrets in my mind. There was really nothing else I could do. I mean, if you only understood the circumstances, and besides that, everyone's doing this. It's not that big of a deal. I actually had a nickname growing up into college, into ministry, into yesterday. No, not really yesterday, but Father Rationale, they called me. Because I was so good at rationalizing things. People would come and say, how should I look at this? And this is not a gift. But man, oh man, I would help them to rationalize it. But it's just a way of cover. I wish I'd been known as Father Honesty or something like that, right? Uh, how else? I, well, I pretend that they don't bother me. These things that are so high in volume in my life, reminding me of what a failure and loser I am, I try and present as if I'm not bothered by any of this. I can look like the picture-perfect follower of Jesus, and all the while the volume of my regret is as loud as Judas's. But you look at me and go, man, I wish I had it together like him, and I look at you and say, I wish I had it together like her. It's all just a lie, because all of us have blown it, and all of us are living with these regrets just like David did, Judas did, Peter did. Here's the problem. These cover-up methodologies don't work over the long haul. They just don't, maybe in the moment. But there isn't enough material in all the world to cover our regrets up. And when we attempt to cover them up, they always come back with an even greater vengeance. Kind of like black powder, you know? You have a pound of black powder and light it, it goes but boy, when you trap it together under layers of packaging, it becomes explosive. That's where many of us are with our regrets. From Judas, we discover that regrets own us, make us prisoners of the past when we blame others for our failures. Just another kind of cover-up, but boy, this is dastardly. I mean, this is bad news blaming others for our failures. Who would do that? You? Me? Why? Because if I'm blaming someone else, the volume of my regrets is being placed on them, even though it doesn't work. And just so you know, I could go through the Bible and show you this, but let's go back to the beginning. The first man, the first woman in paradise, they blow it. You probably know some of the story, right? Eve saw the tree, she was tempted, she ate it. She brought to Adam. Adam had no argument. Mmm, yum. Took the fruit, ate it. Boy, everything changed. Let's go back to Genesis 3. Look at verses 11 and 12. And God comes down. They're messed up. They're hiding from each other, from God. They, everything's changed. No longer paradise. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Why are you covering up and hiding? 
have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from, telling you that if you did that, you'd lose the source of life, you'd die? Did, did you eat from the tree? Now, I don't know if you noticed this or not. That's a simple question with an easy answer. Yes, no. That's not what he says. <laughs> Look what he says. I love this. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. She made it for dinner. What am I supposed to do? Go hungry? <laughs> Blame. But he's really not blaming the woman. Do you really notice who he's blaming? He's really blaming God. The woman you put here with me. This is what we do. We blame God. If you hadn't given me those parents... If you hadn't put me in these circumstances, if you had given me better opportunities, if I could have had the same opportunities that person has, my life would be better. And all we're doing is we're blaming God and others for our choices. And in the end, you just need to know it doesn't work. It explodes. Destroys us. Because we know who's to blame. Do you, you don't think Adam knew who was to blame? You know who's to blame, right? I certainly do. From Judas, we learn that regrets own us when we continually, continually beat ourselves up over our failures. And we do. These things that haunt us, we just beat ourselves up over. I can look three decades back and just beat myself up over things I did or didn't do. Sometimes we think that constantly beating ourselves up and punishing ourselves for these regrets is the solution to the mistakes we've made. All I need is a little beating and I'll be good. But it doesn't work. Oh, I must not have beat myself up enough. I must not have hurt myself enough. It's like paying penance or something. We create our own form of purgatory. <laughs> the sad reality is it only heightens and magnifies the regret. Judas did this, and it kept escalating and escalating, and then there was only one punishment left. He didn't deserve to be alive, and so he killed himself. And what did that solve? Absolutely nothing. We have to realize that beating ourselves up over regrets has the tendency to perpetuate regrets. Just keeps perpetuating it. Well, Judas solved his problem. He killed himself. Really? How come no one names their kids Judas if he solved his problem? He didn't solve anything. We think since we deserve to fail, we'll just sabotage everything in our lives. Have you ever seen, and maybe it's you, people, no matter what good they experience, sabotage it. They had the perfect opportunity for the right relationship for them, and they sabotaged it. Time and time again, the job that could have led to every dream coming true, 
sabotage. Why? Because they cannot allow them to experience themselves to experience what they don't deserve, joy. Regrets do this to us. David, who ultimately, like Peter, experienced putting regret out with the old and experiencing the new that God had for him, boy, David really understood this. Look at Psalm 38. Read a couple of verses. My guilt has overwhelmed me, David said, like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. What was I thinking? My back, it's become physical, is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. All because he was holding on to this regret. And the sad reality, and I know this personally, is that all of us have it. David felt like he deserved all of that. He thought punishing himself like that would make him feel better, but he was wrong. It just enslaved him all the more. You see, making the wrong choices with regrets really does, in the end, leave us with even greater regret, and it always leads to our own hurt. And that leads us to the good news. Whew, time to take a breath. Time to say, thank God that part of the talk's over, right? I mean, good news, good news. God wants to set us free from our regrets. In fact, let me make it more personal. You want to know what the good news is? God wants to set you free from your regrets. I don't know what they are. But I know this, they'll destroy you if you don't let God set you free from them. He says it all the way through the Bible. I chose out a couple of key passages. Isaiah 118, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, your regrets are screaming like neon lights. They're, they'll be like white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they, they'll be like wool. Removed free. Jesus in John 8, 32, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, not put you in bondage. A lot of people get exposed to religion, and they feel a greater bondage than they had before. Why? Because it's just burying their regrets under a deeper set of covers. Jesus didn't come to give us another covering for our regrets. Jesus came to take our regrets away and to set us free. And that's what we can have when we have him. He wants to give you, yeah, he wants to give you joy. He wants to give you contentment. Sometimes the want to has to be encouraged by someone in leadership. So that's like one person was going, oh my gosh, that's pretty good. You know? He wants to wipe your regrets away. He wants to give you a new beginning, a do-over. That's why Jesus came. And you know what's great? This isn't a one-time offer. Yeah, very often we go, yeah, thank God he made forgiveness possible, but I've already done that, and now I'm in a mess again. What am I going to do now? God's not going to keep forgiving me. Really? 
I can't tell you why God loves you, but God loves you no matter what you've done, whatever you'll do. And I don't know why he loves you so much that he wants to forgive you, but I do know this. It doesn't matter how much you blow it. His grace wants to forgive you again. You need to let him. This isn't an encouragement to keep blowing it. This is an encouragement from whatever dark hole of regret you're in to realize that, yes, God wants to forgive you even now again. So let me just give you the application. And just so you know where we're going, I'm going to give you the application, how to take this truth and to make it relevant in your life. And then we're going to mark it through the celebration of communion and then we're going to worship. And I know some of you, snow, fighting, all this stuff, got to Northridge and then you were fighting traffic. I was seeing you from my window. We're in here singing a worship song and you're out there fighting to get in here. I get it. Some of you right now are still PO'd that we started the service before you got here. Well, one thought, you could have left earlier. That's just one thought. <clears throat> but another thought is, you only missed one song. After communion will come some more worship. So now you can go, oh, thank God. I just missed Brad. This is great. No big deal. If we're going to experience life beyond regrets, put regret out with the old and experience the new Jesus came to give us, then we have to make Peter's choices. David's choices, not Judas's. And it starts here. We have to acknowledge our guilt to God. Now, that's not what we like to do. We like to cover up our guilt, run from it, pretend it's not there, use religion as the covering. But I went to church and I raised my hands. Come on. I'm good. No, that's not it. We have to stop adding layers to the covering and we have to take off the lid and acknowledge our guilt to God. That's what David had to finally do to get free of his regrets. And I acknowledged my sin to you, God, and did not cover up my iniquity anymore. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord instead of trying to hide them. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. You took it away. We have to acknowledge our guilt to God. We have to stop trying to cover them up and blaming and beating ourselves up about them. We need to take responsibility for them and admit them. When he says, did you eat of the tree? We need to just say, yes, I did. It can be hard. Man, have I been there. But this is where we have to start. But then if we're going to get beyond our regrets, it needs more than just acknowledging our guilt to God. We need to then turn to and believe God for our forgiveness, for the forgiveness he's promised us in Jesus. You've probably heard the word repent, right? Well, the word repent really has a lot to do with just turning. We need to turn away from the past, the sin, that which holds us prisoner. And we need to turn to him and believe on him to forgive us and to take it away. Judas's problem wasn't 
that he made the first choice to acknowledge his guilt. He obviously acknowledged his guilt. That's why he was beating himself up and ultimately killed himself. But he didn't acknowledge his guilt to God and he didn't turn to God for forgiveness. His problem was that he decided he would take all of the punishment on himself. Made him feel better. The only thing is it destroyed him. The reality is, I need to say it, a lot of you are doing this right now. Acknowledging your guilt but not feeling worthy to be forgiven of it. How could God forgive me? You don't know what I've done. You don't know how many times I've fallen to the same thing. I'm not worthy of his forgiveness. Let me tell you that you're right, you're not worthy. Nor am I, nor was Peter, nor was David. For some reason we have a God that's not asking us to be worthy because he's the only one that needs to be worthy and he fulfilled his promise in sending his son to cover our sins for us, to forgive us, to pay the penalty for him. You're not worthy, nor am I, but he is. Judas was never willing to go there. And so he destroyed himself. Jesus died for our regrets so that we don't have to. So if we're going to break free from regret, then we can't stop with acknowledging our guilt. We have to turn to and believe God for forgiveness. After all, he's the only one that can remove it. Look, look at how the Bible says it, John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. It wasn't to point out your sinfulness so that you could live in that regret. He came to save the world through Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus, like Peter, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe, like Judas, stands condemned already. Because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Acts 10.43, all the prophets testify about him. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name you can keep focusing on your regrets and they will become more and more destructive. Or you can acknowledge your regrets and instead focus on Jesus and let him take the sin away. Your choice. And you know what's cool? It doesn't matter how big. You know that saying, you don't know what I've done. But God does and he still died for you. And God wants to instantly and completely remove your regret. When he forgives, he removes all the messed up words that we've written in the story of our lives. And then he can write new words, a new story through us. But we have to make the choice. Judas didn't. Peter did. How about you? Before I give you the final thought and we celebrate communion and worship, I, I want to give you the chance. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you just bow your heads in a word of prayer, and even if you're watching online, not in your car, driving, but even if you're watching online in other circumstances, just bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you've never opened your life to Jesus, this is your moment. So pray with me. Take these words and make them yours. Just say, Jesus, I acknowledge my guilt right now. I have sinned. 
I have blown it. I am guilty. But I know by faith that Jesus, you died on the cross to forgive me of that sin, of all sin. And then you rose again to give me new life. So I'm acknowledging my guilt, turning to you, and believing you for your promised forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed with me, let us know. We want to give you a book of the Bible in journal form. It's a great way to start engaging God's truth for your life. But we need to know you prayed with me. So text us. You know our text number, 31616. Said it earlier in the service. But this time, send me a message, Northridge. Northridge. We'll send you a link. Fill out that link. Get it back to us. We'll send you that information. Maybe you're ready for your next step. Well, good news. Your next step's almost here. In February, we're having baptism weekend, and you can take a step of baptism, and if you're interested in taking that step, just go to northridgechurch.com slash baptism, find out about it, or tell people in the lobby if you're here in Plymouth or there in Brighton. But I don't know if you've noticed this, because I can tell you, I've acknowledged my guilt, and I've turned to God and believed on him for forgiveness, but I can still be held hostage by regret. Have you found that in your life? So what else do we have to do? If we're going to get beyond the power of regret to make us prisoners in the past, what do we have to do? Well, once forgiven by Jesus, which is the foundational prerequisite, then we have to forgive ourselves. Because if we don't, we're going to keep beating ourselves up over the thing that no longer even exists because Jesus took it away. He already paid for it. We need to forgive ourselves. For me, this is the toughest area, really, to forgive myself, to forgive myself. This is where we need to turn our focus to what now in Jesus instead of what happened in my failure. Let's just acknowledge the reality. You can't unscramble broken eggs, but you can make some pretty good omelets. Now, I need to say right up front, I know that is like gag-worthy. I, I know. That's like a dad joke gone bad with a pastor. It should have been left in a hundred-year-ago history book. I get it. You can't put together broken eggs, but you can make an omelet. Really? But here's what I also know. That's the only thing some of you are going to remember from the entire talk. <laughs> and just let it remind you, out with the old, the regrets, in with the new. Once we've been forgiven, that's what's possible. It's what God wants us to do. Romans 6 is talking to those of us who now have experienced the forgiveness of all that we have regretted but we're still being held hostage to it. We haven't forgiven ourselves. Look what he said, in the same way, count yourselves dead to that. That's been put on the cross already. Jesus died for that. You gave it to him. It's gone. But now you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. This isn't saying in Christ, once you've become a Christian, you'll never have the potential to sin again. Wrong. 
It's not what it's saying. He's saying you no longer have to live in the destructive defeat of the sin in your past because in Jesus, you're now alive to God in Christ Jesus. Start counting yourself to be alive instead of dead. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old, gone. The new is here. We need to forgive ourselves. Then, if we're really going to get beyond the stranglehold of regret, we need to begin looking forward and living our new life. So many of us have been paralyzed so long looking backward that it doesn't matter how many times we ask Jesus to forgive us, we keep looking at this thing that's holding us paralyzed. We have to change positions. We have to start looking forward and living our new life. Look at how the Bible says it again in Romans 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We have a new life in Jesus. Again, and this is a longer passage, stick with me. I want to know Christ, Paul said. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, dead to my sin and regrets, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, the new life. And then he says, and I want you to know, he's writing to those in Philippi. He says, I haven't already obtained all this. I'm not perfect. I haven't already arrived at my goal, but man, I'm not looking backwards anymore. I'm looking forward. I press forward to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me instead of letting yesterday's defeats take hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I'm looking forward and stepping into my new life, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Satan wants you living in yesterday. Jesus wants you living today for everything he has for you and all of your tomorrows. You need to change positions. Regret doesn't have to own you. You have to let Jesus own you. Conclusion, looking backwards can prevent you from moving forward, and it has been, many of us. It can make us prisoners of our past. It has for many of us. But this isn't how Jesus wants us to live. He came to set us free. Peter got it. Judas missed it. Today the choice is yours. It's my prayer that you'll follow Peter, that all of us will make the choice to tear down the prison walls of regret in our lives and allow God to write a new story in and through us, a story filled with peace and joy and meaning and hope. And you know, the great way to acknowledge that decision publicly is through communion. A great way to mark that moment is through communion. Jesus gave us the bread as a symbol of what he did with his body. Stop letting your sins kill you because I've already died for them and risen so that you might live 
for me. He gave us the juice as a symbol of his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, which means there has been forgiveness of sin. You just have to trust him for it. And here's what I found in my own life. I have a long memory for my regrets and a short memory of Jesus' forgiveness. And so Jesus gave us communion so we could remember his gift to us, his gift of freedom. That's why we celebrate it. So would you pray with me, Father in heaven? I pray that you'd take this moment in time when we celebrate communion to strengthen and lengthen our memory of what you've done for us. Our regrets don't win, you do. Help us to keep focused on you stepping into our new lives moving forward. Thank you that it's possible because of what you did in dying for us, being buried for us, and rising from us. And help this moment be a moment of celebration and change. Amen. We're doing something a little different right now before we move into worship. We're going to give you a few moments for personal contemplation before God. So rather than feeding you lyrics of a song, we're going to have instruments play so that you can focus and converse with God in the area of your great need as you remember what he did for you. Use this moment to stop remembering what you've done and to start remembering what he's done and it will change everything. And then I'll come back and we'll receive the elements together and worship. And so because of what he's done, 
can turn away from what we've done and turn towards what he's done and experience God's goodness and righteousness in our lives. This body represents, this bread represents the body of Christ and we eat it in remembrance of him. juice is a symbol of his blood that was shed for us and forgiveness of all we regret and so we drink it in remembrance of him and I can't think of a better way to start our worship than by thanking Jesus for his blood <laughs> 